politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, scorned and forgotten taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for another week of exciting independent conservative news and views at Blaze Media. And as always, it is a busy week. It is a busy week with the president suffering immensely from, uh, whoops, a three-day cold. Well, no, to be fair, it was a flu. Um, It was a flu, and obviously, given his age and the fact that he is present, they wanted to ward it off and make sure it wasn't that small percentage of people that it does get very bad. But here we are coming full circle, and that's really what I want to do today, to come full circle back to the beginning of why we started with this and the cardinal sins of corona fascism and the way we approach this. Calling it a novel virus so we could have a novel criminal response. And folks, this is truly a criminal response. I want to play for you here from a German lawyer, top German tort lawyer. I guess he's kind of German-American. What he had to say about the crime against humanity, about the lies of coronavirus. Take a listen. Hello. I am Reiner Fulmich, and I have been admitted to the bar in Germany and in California for 26 years. I have been practicing law primarily as a trial lawyer against fraudulent corporations such as Deutsche Bank, formerly one of the world's largest and most respected banks, today one of the most toxic criminal organizations in the world. VW, one of the world's largest and most respected car manufacturers, today notorious for its giant diesel fraud, and Kühne and Nagel, the world's largest shipping company, were suing them in a multi-million dollar bribery case. I'm also one of four members of the German Corona Investigative Committee. Since July 10th, 2020, this committee has been listening to a large number of international scientists and experts' testimony to find answers to questions about the corona crisis, which more and more people worldwide are asking. All the above-mentioned cases of corruption and fraud committed by the German corporations pale in comparison in view of the extent of the damage that the corona crisis has caused and continues to cause. This corona crisis, according to all we know today, must be renamed a corona scandal, and those responsible for it must be criminally prosecuted and sued for civil damages. On a political level, everything must be done to make sure that no one will ever again be in a position of such power as to be able to defraud humanity or to attempt to manipulate us with their corrupt agendas. And for this reason, I will now explain to you how and where an international network of lawyers will argue this biggest tort case ever, the corona fraud scandal, which has meanwhile unfolded into probably the greatest crime against humanity ever committed. Folks, let's call it what it is. It absolutely is the biggest crime against humanity. You cannot imagine the children that have suffered, the lack of education, the vaccinations missed, the drug overdoses, the suicides, the the isolation, the marriages broken. You can't do this to a society. 
to some for something that we know who is really at risk. We know everyone's going to get it. We know there's nothing you can do to stop it. We have pitted one human being against the other. Called for dehumanization procedures. Covering your face when it absolutely doesn't work. And by the way, you can go to rationalground.com. We have charts out there showing... Literally, if anything, the correlation is it gets worse with the mask mandates. When mean, Meanwhile, we could have done what Sweden has done. But here we are 200 days into this. 200 days to flatten the country. And we're just getting started. This will be 200 years if you and I don't fight back. And I don't want to hear about, oh, we're a month away from the election. Well, the election already started because people vote three years before the election. I'm just telling you, this will never, ever end if you and I do not put an end to it. That's the reality. It will never end. I don't care about the election, the outcome. I mean, I don't want Biden to win, but increasingly, you know, you're going to have to (laughs) be prepared for that. And fight on a local level, fight on a civilizational level. And 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 look, if Biden does win, and I don't want that to be the outcome, but there will be some ancillary benefits, some silver linings, that red states will finally be red and finally fight back. And that's where it's gonna have to be. Half the country is lost. We have to save the other half. We have to at least have states like Florida, where we have one Republican governor that's readily admitting that it was a mistake to shut down schools. Could you imagine what would have happened had we kept the schools open since March? The degree of herd immunity we would have achieved on the cheap for nothing. The truth is, I don't even know how much herd immunity we would have gotten because kids don't really spread it. What's amazing is we had this big national debate over whether kids Spread or not, they're certainly not in danger. See, with the college kids, there's no hospitalizations, but there's tons of cases. It gets into the college dorm. They'll, they're, they're all going to get it. Not a problem. They'll all get it. With the younger kids, they don't even spread it. Because like I noted before, even the Washington Post admitted this. They did a mea culpa. I, I give them credit, but others haven't. CNN They put out that panic porn that kids spread it even more. At least make it believable. We'll find a few cases here and there, which means they got it from home. Because if you spread it, then an entire grade will get it. You know, one of the big areas was um, Cherokee County. Yeah, Cherokee County, Georgia. They opened school already early August when it was still spreading a lot there in the community. That was the big case that they thought would spread. 14 active cases out of 42,200 students. Six six active cases out of 4,800 staff. And of course, very few of them got it more than much of anything. And that's really the issue. We shut down the world for a damn flu that for most people, they don't even get the flu. The president seemed to get a flu. And that's the irony. Like, it's worse than most people and we're panicking over it. So that just shows how we've lowered, lowered the threshold. And again, I understand that basically what they wanted to do was truncate the time that he's sick just because he's present and, and the stuff probably worked. 
So, you know, it's Monday. He's back. Seems to be pretty much better. But, I mean, let's say people do get a week-long flu. Is that reason now to shut down the country? No. They told us this had a 3.4% kill rate. You know, when you come full circle just to think of how, how we have, where we have come from, I laugh when I go back to, it was one or two shows in March where I was saying it's not 3.4%, it's probably 0.5.6%. And we laugh now because that's that's too high. And now they'll say, oh my gosh, that would be catastrophic because they've lowered the threshold so much to induce panic. But at the time, we would have never done it based on an assumption of a 0.5.6% infection fatality rate. Very interesting story. Kudos to Alex Berenson for pointing this out. Out of the Irish Times. Okay? So Irish Times reports, they have a panic headline, but they don't realize that their headline actually proves our point. So their headline is COVID-19... World in for a hell of a ride in coming months, Dr. Mike Ryan says. An estimated 750 million or 10% of the world's population have been infected by COVID-19, WHO official Dr. Mike Ryan has said. The Irish-born executive director of the WHO's health emergencies program said he was worried for the fate of the 90% of the people who have not had the disease. He estimated that 10% is our best guess in relation to the global rate of infection. Now, obviously, that's bull, the notion that the rest of the 90% is going to have to get it. Um, 10%, yeah, is not enough. You're going to need about 20-25%. But you know what? We would have been there already if not for the lockdowns. And that's what Sweden proves. Again, not that you can't have anything afterwards, but in the scheme of what we deal with with the flu, it's like, come on. But this is where we are. There's something that is lost on everyone except for Alex Berenson, and kudos to to him for making this observation. They're saying 750 million people in the world have gotten this. How many people died? Well, according to the official count, it's right about a million. And really, that number is inflated because we know in our country that as much as 40 to 50% of the numbers are inflated because they're died with COVID, not died of COVID. But even if you go with that number, do you know what 750 million divided by a million gives you? An IFR of 0.13. The flu. Probably less than some of the pandemic flus. When you actually get the denominator. And again, you have to go back and have the numerator examined how many of those really died from COVID. It's not a hoax. People do die from it. People do get very sick from it but it's not really much different than the percentage who die every year. Naturally, it's been that way for a long time of pneumonia-like complications from the flu. And as I've noted before, I would love to see what the fatality rates are going to look like in the coming year or two or three. Because if we are correct, 
what happens, what tends to happen is that the flu only, the flu typically kills certain people at the end of their life every year. And if you have a particularly bad pandemic flu, it might on net be bad, but you can't add it to the baseline numbers because you don't have the baseline. Because there's only a finite number of people who die from it. So you're not going to have, oh, on top of the flu, we have this. And hence, there was no flu season in the Southern Hemisphere this year. So you really have to subtract the number of lives that are typically lost every year from the flu if you're going to use that full number. It might on net be more, but you can't add it. And like we noted in the Northern Hemisphere... It seems to have short-circuited. It's, it stopped the flu season in late February, early March. Which means that if it does continue spreading for the next number of months, it will likely box out the flu in the Northern Hemisphere again when it starts for the new season. So you add that together, and it's kind of like the flu. Albeit, truth be told, most of the people get less than the flu. They get less than the flu. Everyone I know, it's a cold or less than a cold. Meaning, like, what was it? In August, you remember I lost my voice for a full week. That was the full-blown, like, sore throat for two days. Really bad sore throat. Then it goes to the nose and the chest and, the, you know, the full-blown cold. No fever. But those colds could be pretty annoying. Most people I know don't get like the full-blown cold. It's some allergy cold-like symptoms. Some people get the annoyance of losing their uh, sense of smell. I know a lot of people like that. Um, But, you know, there's nothing dangerous about that. And the worst cases are like a flu. In the most uncommon cases with the people with those vulnerabilities, they get you know, obviously breathing problems and that's that's clinical and that's dangerous. But the more you drag it out and the more you have this social isolation where people who should be living normally don't live normally, the more you are actually going to keep those people in danger for longer. This was the simple concept that they understood in every generation. I wrote an article earlier today And by the way, you could find all my columns at The Blaze. You could just Google Daniel Horowitz, The Blaze. And you could find my columns in chronological order. My most recent one is what Woodward Wilson said when he contracted the Spanish flu, just like Trump got SARS-CoV-2. And you know what he said? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He never spoke about it publicly, not his bout with it, and not the national um, catastrophe. And unlike now, we're really outside of New York, New Jersey, a couple other places. You really don't see too many excess deaths. Some places you don't see any excess deaths other than the lockdown deaths, the social isolation deaths, the panic deaths, the trickle-down effect of you know delayed diagnosis and surgeries, or just panic and social isolation, the the um, suicides, drug overdoses, there you really had excess deaths. Legitimately, the bodies piled up. Legitimately, the median age of death was 28. 
Yet Woodrow Wilson never mentioned a word, not one word, about the virus. As I mentioned before, the State of the Union address was given that year, December 2nd, 1918. That's literally weeks after the worst wave of it. So the worst was like September, October, November. Imagine Trump giving the State of the Union address tomorrow after he himself got the virus, after the equivalent of 2.2 million people died in today's population, with the median age of death being 28, and looking the people in the eye and not mentioning a word. But you know what? It wasn't him. It's not like anyone's like, how dare he not mention anything? Or like the Republicans, you know, because he was a Democrat, the opposition party saying, what a cruel piece of garbage. He doesn't care. Everyone was like that because they understood not that it wasn't bad. Some epidemics are minor. Some are moderate. 1918 was the rare example of a real hardcore death plague. But they understood it is what it is. It's the God gap. They believed in God. They believed in his providence. And they understood that you God leaves it in our hands to try to treat it the best we can. And unfortunately, back then, pre-antibiotics, they really didn't have a good way of treating it. But the notion that you could arrest the spread of a respiratory virus is as grounded as the premise that you could stop the flow of a, of a hurricane. And it's even worse than because a hurricane, you could actually, on an individual level, you could run or hide from it. A virus, you can't. I mean, you could have a few people that say, I'm, I'm never going to come out for the rest of my life for my house. I mean, go do that. But a society can't do that. You'll all die. So someone's got to go out. And then it's going to hit you eventually. Hence what we saw in the Philippines, in Peru, in Israel, all these places that thought they were clever by putting people under house arrest until they can no longer do it. Oh, but don't worry. We're only going to emerge from house arrest wearing masks. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's the biggest scam in the history of the world. Talk about crimes against humanity. But it wasn't just in 1918. In 1957, 1968, the Asian and Hong Kong flus respectively. If you lived during that time or you have a parent who did, ask them. Do you remember what it was like to live during that time? And likely they'll answer like my parents do, which is, I don't know what you're talking about. They were, unlike the Spanish flu, they were very much equivalent to this epidemic. If you have the true excess deaths, we're probably very similar based on what we know. If anything, that was actually worse because remember that Today's population, we have so many more seniors at the end of their lives. Back then, you know, in 1957, you didn't have as many people um, that were uh, just whatever. You know, you didn't have that many people that were over 90. You just didn't. I mean, people didn't live as long, even, even in the 50s, much less in 1918. And guess what? We had clearly, in my view, I mean, we'll see how long this goes on, but as of now, I think we had a lot more excess deaths then. I have the numbers. If you look at the numbers, 
So basically, there were only 4.9 million people back then over the age of 75. Today, there's 23 million people over the age of 75. So while the general population was slightly more than half of what it is today, the over 75 age population was about one-fifth of what it is today. The over 90 population was one-twelfth of today's advanced senior population. As such, the death toll in 1957 was even more severe than COVID when one considers how many more seniors we have today. Because a lot of them, it was really the people that that's the end of their life. And you could see this with the heart deaths, the uh, Alzheimer's deaths, that they all went down. Well, well, what, they were cured? No. The pool of people that were slated to die this year from the top 10 killers, some of them, even though, I mean, a lot of them didn't die of COVID, they just had it. They're total BSS. But the ones that legitimately died, a lot of them, they were going to die anyway, as Neil Ferguson said. As opposed to 57, 68, I suspect it was similar to this, unlike the Spanish flu. It wasn't like, you know, the median age 28. It was mainly older, vulnerable people. But, you know, still, it, it, you know, there probably were more people that had their lives cut short than they did today. There were, in other words, if you look at years of life lost per capita, 57 for sure was worse than this is. Also, 57 did have a wrinkle that infants and pregnant women were at risk. And that's very scary. Imagine that today. Imagine that today. But nonetheless, the New York Times, in an editorial, September 17th, 1957, quote, let us all keep a cool head about Asian influenza as the statistics on the spread and the virulence of the disease begin to accumulate. They understood as D.A. Henderson, who is the head of the Hopkins School of Public Health, widely accredited with getting rid of smallpox, he said at the time that the doctors, the public health officials got together, they realized we have to focus on treatment, not prevention. There's nothing you can do to block it. They actually recommended that people not flood the hospitals unless they had vulnerable conditions or complications from the flu. Which, by the way, I think today, I don't, I don't blame them for Trump being different than a regular civilian, them trying to intervene. He is the president. You want to get him better. But for the average person, there's probably a lot of people in Trump's kind of predicament. They have a cough. They have a fever. They go to the hospital where it's really not clinical. It's not a clinical level problem. Okay, so that's a lot of the hospitalizations you're seeing. And it's just we're obsessing about treating in the hospital. So like, you know, when you see, oh, in Wisconsin, they have all these hospitalizations. Now, first of all, they never had the virus to begin with. So this is their first round. Everyone's going to get it. But number two is how many of them really have a severe pneumonia? There are some, but it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the amount of people who get the virus. They understood that there's, quote, no practical advantage in closing the schools or the curtailment of public gatherings. This was in recognition that they saw, quote, no practical means for limiting the spread of infections because they understood that is controlled by God 
We don't have any technology even 60 years later to stop the spread. Masks, I know, are cutting-edge technology. I mean, amazing things. No, they don't help. The best you can do is focus on treatment. And and this is what is so appalling. You know, my father had um some coughing, and he was asking me some questions, and I, and I was thinking, it's amazing that there has never been an issue more studied and with more widely disseminated information than this virus. Yet to this day, like, the average person doesn't have a good protocol. What sort of vitamin D should I take? Zinc, hydroxychloroquine. Well, of course, they're against that. Empower people. Empower them. But no, this has always been about control and power. They don't want to empower us. They want to reserve the power for themselves. So they'd rather say, shut up, mask up, don't get it. You're, you have to make sure you don't get it because if you do, you're going to die. But it's a lie because it's the exact opposite. You are going to get it. You have to assume you're going to get it. There's no way to really stop yourself from getting it. You'll have a lucky minority that doesn't get it, but it's going to be coincidental. You have to assume you're going to get it. But for almost everyone, it's not a problem. And for those that do have conditions especially, rather than panicking them, burn it A, burn it out quickly among those that can go out, and B, empower them with preventative measures. Not preventative so much not to get it, but in terms of boosting their immune system. When you panic, you don't boost your immune system. You get what you had in New York and New Jersey where they flooded the hospitals, put them on ventilators when they didn't need to be on them. They killed God knows how many people. That is the crime against humanity. Again, I want to reiterate. I want to reiterate. D.A. Henderson writes, here's the summary of what went on in a flu that was at least as bad as the one here. The 1957-1958 pandemic was such a rapidly spreading disease that it became quickly apparent to U.S. health officials that efforts to stop or slow its spread were futile. Thus, no efforts were made to quarantine individuals or groups, and a deliberate decision was made not to cancel or postpone large meetings such as conferences, church gatherings, or athletic events for the purpose of reducing transmission. No attempt was made to limit travel or to otherwise screen travelers. Emphasis was placed on providing medical care to those who are affected and on sustaining the continued functioning of community and health services. The febrile respiratory illness brought large numbers of patients to clinics, doctor's offices, and ERs, but a relatively small percentage of those infected required hospitalization. School absenteeism due to influenza was high but schools were not closed unless the number of students or teachers fell to sufficiently low numbers to warrant closure. However, the course of the outbreak in schools was relatively brief and many could readily return to activities within three to five days. Folks, I just want to note that was a flu. Kids get sicker from the flu than they get from this, so there was more disruption. A significant number of healthcare workers were said to have been afflicted with influenza, but reports indicate that hospitals were able to adjust appropriately to cope with the patient loads. Based on our New York Times review, there were no reports that major events were canceled or postponed. And there you have it. It's believed that 25% of the U.S. population became ill with the flu. Watch that number, by the way, 25%. 
excess mortality due to pneumonia and influenza occurred. From one watching the pandemic from very close range, though, it was a transiently disturbing event for the population. Transiently disturbing. In other words, no one remembered it. The economy, despite large numbers of cases, the outbreak did not appear to have a significant impact on the U.S. economy. GDP barely went down. People were out the way they are with the flu. Each person was out for a few days. They came back and that was it. There was no pointing fingers. There was no accusing people. It was understood. It was an act of God. You know, like there's one thing when you have biblical values and then it's like the new cool scientific stuff seems like to, you know, contradict you. are like, well, what do I do with my faith? Here, like, what they are putting out is such flat earth garbage. The timeless values we had on respiratory viruses stay true to today. You know, I can't help but think on a day like today, today is the 27th anniversary of Black Hawk Down, the Mogadishu massacre, with 18 service members killed. I'll never forget as a young kid watching on the news those images of those two Bodies um, being dragged in the streets of Mogadishu. And that was Bill Clinton getting us sucked into a combat zone of a dumpster fire of Mogadishu, but treating it like a humanitarian mission so they weren't prepared. Social work in a combat zone, the worst combination of all. And I can't help but think that this is kind of our domestic Mogadishu. You get sucked into something that you should never get sucked into, but you can't get out of it. We have now created this inordinate panic, this premise that if a respiratory virus spreads, it's someone's fault. It's because they did something and you could stop it. You could wear a mask. You could lock down. And if it spreads, it's because you're not doing it right or something. And it's someone's fault and we're going to trace it. And we can't have school. We have created such a degree of panic. People now don't don't know what to do when they get a cold. You you cannot live like that. And by the way, you know, getting back to crimes against humanity. Do you know what's interesting? The third world countries are paying for the hubris of western world leaders. Because those countries aren't you barely have anyone dying from coronavirus. Because you know why? Because they're not panicking. And they're not treating people like bubble boys. To a certain extent, because they're less insular than we are, they're always exposed to more stuff. Because you're seeing that even in Western countries, like in America, you're seeing that with the homeless population. They're getting tons of cases because they're, they're out and about together. But very few deaths. But you know what they are getting deaths from? Malaria. Hunger, lack of vaccinations, all to pay for the virtue signaling of Western leaders. Yep, the high cost of virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is the greatest crime against humanity. Thank God there's a group of three epidemiologists who got together 
and they're trying to push back. Um, one of them we actually had on the show earlier in the year, Sinatra Gupta of Oxford, Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford, and Martin Kuldorf, I believe, of Harvard. Harvard, Stanford, Oxford, okay? It's not some right-wing institution. And they came out with a statement of principles they met in Massachusetts. And the statement reads as following. Coming from both the left and the right and around the world, we have devoted our careers to protecting people. Current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health. The results include lower childhood vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes, fewer cancer screenings, and deteriorating mental health, leading to greater excess mortality in years to come with the working class and younger members of society carrying the heaviest burden. Keeping students out of school is a grave injustice. Which, by the way, Governor DeSantis said that blatantly. It was a big mistake. Kudos to him for doing that. Anyway, I go on. The letter reads, Keeping these measures in place until a vaccine is available will cause irreparable, irreparable damage with the underprivileged disproportionately harmed. Fortunately, our understanding of the virus is growing. We know that vulnerability to death from COVID is more than a thousand-fold higher in the old and infirm than the young. Indeed, for children, COVID-19 is less dangerous than many other harms, including influenza. As immunity builds in the population, the risk of infection to all, including the vulnerable, falls. We know that all populations will eventually reach herd immunity, the point at which the rate of the new infection is stable, and that this can be assisted by, but not dependent upon, a vaccine. Our goal should therefore be to minimize mortality and social harm until we reach herd immunity. The most compassionate approach that balances the risks and benefits of reaching herd immunity is to allow those who are at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally, to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection while better protecting those who are at higher risk. We call this focused protection. Adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses. By way of example, nursing homes should use staff with acquired immunity and perform frequent testing of other staff and all visitors. Staff rotation should be minimized. Retired people living at home should have groceries and other essentials delivered to their home. When possible, they should meet their family members outside rather than, rather than inside. A comprehensive and detailed list of measures, including approaches to multi-generational households, can be implemented and is well within the scope and capability of public health professionals. Those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Simple hygiene measures, such as hand-washing and staying home when sick, should be practiced by everyone to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Young, low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should be open. Art, music, sport, and other cultural activities should resume. People who are more at risk may participate if they wish, while society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. That has always been the true and tried, tested method of achieving, achieving immunity. Thank God we have better treatments built up on top of that than ever. We threw $200 billion at the hospitals. We've done everything we can. It's time to end the garbage. It's time to give people freedom of choice. What happened to being being pro-choice? If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to lock down, 
lockdown. And had we done this six months ago, the vulnerable would no longer have to stay away from their grandkids. And mind you, if, if their grandkids are young enough, the evidence really shows they do not spread. So that's where we are. That's where we are here. With the president, the president shows this. 74, a little bit overweight. You got a flu. Most others don't even get a flu. I I just find it shocking. Shocking where we are. An infection fatality rate, according to this World Health Organization guy, that's trying to sow panic, by the way, of 0.13. With probably about three quarters of those people who would have died within the year. And again, you're, you know, you're likely going to see that in the coming year or two with on net decreased deaths from respiratory viruses. This is the biggest fraud and crime perpetrated on humanity. And again, like any public policy, when you use a nuclear bomb to treat an ant, you don't even kill the ant. When, when, when you don't isolate and minimize the problem, and instead you basically expand the problem, you, you, you do an injustice to the people in terms of, A, making it more likely they're going to get it because you drag it out longer. B, more likely they're going to atrophy if they're older in nursing homes. They're going to die from loneliness because it's too long that we're doing this. And um, basically... Basically, we focus our treatments on young people flooding the hospital for a cold rather than the people that really do have ARDS. And we just put people on ventilators. But folks, this might be obvious to you. This might be a slam dunk case to you. But when it comes to the evil elitists that run Western countries... This has not gotten any better. This is from CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Center. Physical distancing mask wearing could be in place for two to three years, even with a vaccine. So in case I was like, oh, no, no, I'm just waiting for a vaccine. If they're telling you now it's two to three years, that means it's forever. If they're willing to say that up front. Straight up. At least they're admitting it. Canadians shouldn't expect the COVID-19 vaccine to be a silver bullet that will bring a swift end to the coronavirus pandemic and a return to normal, according to the country's chief public health officer. Dr. Teresa Tam used her briefing on Tuesday in Ottawa to temper expectations about the speed and effectiveness of vaccines. She reiterated the importance of physical distancing, proper hand hygiene, and mask wearing, and attempting to dispel any notion that a vaccine will make life go back to normal. We can't at this stage just put all of our focus on a vaccine. Now, I agree with that, but for opposite reasons. Mind you, this is a woman who said that people should have marital relations with a mask. I mean, folks, we are, we are in a 
we're at a point where it's the time of judging the judges. That the, the, the people that are regarded as the top experts, like sometimes you could have things that are like subject to debate or like, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a layman, I don't know much, it sounds kind of plausible, but I don't know, people say different things. But then you have them telling you things that totally defy your willing suspension of disbelief. They say things that a second grader knows is stupid. They say things that are utterly insane and maniacal. Can you imagine that saying you're worried about getting COVID so you can have sex together but wear a mask? That's how much the mask has become a cult. I saw a wedding here where I live in Baltimore where people were holding hands dancing at a wedding with masks. So they were freaking touching each other. We've come full circle and we've thrown out the original sound science of like just, you know, staying a little bit apart and not certainly not touching, shaking hands. And they, 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 they touch each other, but wear a mask. Where Redfield, the CDC director, says a mask is better than a, a vaccine, which is always a retarded thing to say, much less five months into every single data point showing there's zero correlation with better outcomes and almost everywhere where they tried it, it got worse. Where we see it with our eyes, plain sight, that everyone is just taking them out of their pockets, reusing them. Which the CDC and WHO, NIH, EPA, because the EPA wrote about this with regard to um, wildfires. They all said, you're going to make it worse. This is the society we're living in. And folks, you got to grab the power back in your community. At a business level, at a school level, at a county level. You have to, First of all, Trump is president and, it's, <laughs> and we are in this position. So you, I mean, even if you were to win, you can't rely on that. But increasingly, you do you do have to prepare yourself for him losing. I'm not saying he's for sure going to lose. You definitely have to prepare yourself for that. I'm sorry. You can't put your eggs in that basket. It's time to fight back. Let me give you an example. You know, for our homeschooling stuff, we promised them: look, if they do their work properly, they'll have more time. So you know, they could do fun activities. But there's nowhere to go. You have to wear a mask for everything. So there's this one of these like trampoline places, like these jumping places. And my wife's like, yeah, don't worry. You know, I, I think I saw somewhere you don't have to wear a mask when you're actually jumping. That would be dangerous. And I said, honey, I'm not disagreeing with you. That's dangerous. I'm just telling you, I don't think you understand how far this has gone. Uh, call them up. I'm, I, I'll guarantee you they will not let them take the mask off. And lo and behold, my wife spoke to the guy the office and was like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I agree. It's stupid, but you know, this is the company policy. It's not going to end anytime soon. And they're just scared of being shut down. And this is the problem. Everyone is going along with it and forcing it on one another because they've made the decision that as long as I could stay open, we'll treat people like dirt. You know what? If we all decide we're going to shame these companies and boycott them and not show up, They'll realize it's more in their favor to do it, and they'll, they'll, they'll push back. You have to fight back in the business world, 
at a, at a consumer commercial level, school boards, in the community. We have to start shaming the mask wearers. This is the only way out. I'm sorry. Sorry to tell you. But that's the broad view. I don't know what you do with this presidential election. The story with the president with every issue is too little too late. He just got Scott Atlas involved way too late. And even even now, Burks and Fauci and Redfield are running around mouthing off. If he loses, I mean, he has himself to blame for it. I'm sorry. I know the media is rough. I understand no matter what, you're going to have to deal with the media and it does have its effect and people are stupid and believe them. But it doesn't help when you don't speak with one voice consistently when even till today, Trump says, I saved millions of lives with a lockdown. You know what? Then I can't help him. But I am happy he's back in his element. And again, it demonstrates the overwhelming majority, even of people in their 70s, are not going to get worse than a flu. Many of them will get it asymptomatically or mildly symptomatic. We have lost our freaking minds. Anyone who tells you they're saving lives, they are killing lives. This is the greatest crime of the century perpetrated upon mankind. And that's that. So we're going to have a lot more news on this. All of our other issues, crime rising. Lots of news with the Supreme Court back in session. Some interesting things going on there. We don't have time for it today, but we might get to it later. But folks, send me your stories, good and bad, depressing stories, Corona heroes, Corona zeros, Corona fascists. We'll read some of your emails on air here. So you can email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. Follow us on Facebook, Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary, or our private Facebook page. If you want to remain private, you can uh, ask for an invite, and we'll invite you to Minutemen Speak Easy, our little uh, online tavern until Facebook shuts us down. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Stay safe, stay healthy, and fight. Fight.